0: Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26. We are coming down the road, getting closer. We're almost done with the book of Acts. And not almost like a year ago, almost. It, we're, we're almost there. This morning, we're continuing our study through Acts. We're going to be finishing a three-part look at a series of studies I've titled An Appeal, An Audience, and a Witness, which we're covering in Acts 25, verse 12, all the way through chapter 26, verse 32, so the end of chapter 26. And in part three today, we're going to study Acts 26, verses 16 through 32. We're going to backtrack just a little bit, uh, but let's start actually reading in verse 1 of chapter 26, so that we keep all the context here. Paul, in this hearing now, he's standing before King Agrippa and Felix and Bernice and all these high-ranking military officials there in Caesarea. We find this in verse 1. Now, then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today... "'I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life, verse 4, from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify.' that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities." Verse 12, while thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. As we've been seeing the last couple weeks and we'll see today, Paul's appeal, which he made in chapter 25 to the governor Festus, has led to Paul having this open door, or sorry, has led to him having an audience which has led to him now having an open door to to witness, to testify about Jesus. And in this open door, we're seeing Jesus making good on what he spoke about Paul over 20 years earlier when he was just known as Saul of Tarsus, that Saul was going to bear the name of Jesus before kings. And now Over 20 years later, that prophetic word of Jesus is beginning to be fulfilled as Paul witnesses to King Agrippa. And I say beginning to be fulfilled because uh, when Paul makes it to Rome, eventually he's going to testify before Caesar himself, the the king, the the reigning supreme king over all that world-ruling empire of the day in Rome. The Lord had been preparing Paul for this. This was all part of God's will for Paul's life. And as we've already been seeing, Paul is joyfully embracing this opportunity to share the gospel. I don't know about you, but if I had been sitting in prison for two years and things had not worked out the way that I had hoped they would, getting this sort of opportunity could, man, what, what encouragement that could have been i mean remember before the crowd he had an opportunity two years earlier he's preaching to that huge massive crowd at the steps of the antonia fortress there in jerusalem and and they interrupted him and rejected him called for him to be murdered right he gets to be before the religious leaders the sanhedrin and they shut him down He's before Felix, and Felix just kind of brushes him off to the side and hides them sort of away in a cell for two years. And then now, now there's this opportunity, and he's just, he's stoked that he's able to share the gospel with these people. Now, last week in verses 4 through 11, Paul shared about who he was and what he was like before he met and was saved by Jesus, which marked the second time we've now seen Paul share his testimony with other people. And the first time was in Acts 22. And then in verses 12 through 18, Paul shared about when he met and was saved by and was commissioned by Jesus. But we didn't quite make it through all those verses last week. So we're going to pick things back up in verse 16. And we're going to read verses 16 through 18, where Paul shares about the commission Jesus gave him on the Damascus Road over 20 years earlier. Verse 16, picking it back up, Paul referencing what Jesus spoke to him. Jesus speaking, But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister. And a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Remember Paul had already been a commissioned man. He was commissioned by the chief priest to go to Damascus. He had these papers, he had this scroll that was signed by the chief priest himself to bring to Damascus saying, "Look, this guy wants to imprison anybody, take anybody out, like he's he's got our approval." He's got our authority to do that. He had been commissioned in that sort of way, a commissioning that was leading in havoc, a commissioning that was centered upon the destruction of Christians and and trying to stamp out the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But now there was a new commissioning that was taking place in the life of the Apostle Paul and the zeal that Paul had against Jesus was now going to switch. He was going to become the most zealous person probably ever to live outside of Jesus himself to be about the kingdom of God in this world. And it's so amazing how God can take somebody that everyone else would look at and go, not them, no way them. And use that person as a trophy of his grace. Paul was a trophy of God's grace to be held up and say, and say look, if God can do this with my life, he can do it with anyone's. He, if he could save me, he can save anyone. If he can transform me, he can transform anyone. And I just love that God is in the business of transformation, not reformation. Let me clean you up. Let me just make you a little bit better. You know, sometimes we look at things in that sort of way, like, you know, just he's, he's making me better. It's like, no, he wants to make us brand new. He wants to give people a brand new heart to put a brand new spirit within them, not reformation, let me clean you up, make you look a little bit better. You act a little bit nicer. No, brand spanking new. Where Paul could say in 2 Corinthians, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new, she is a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And for those of us who have been on the receiving end of that, man, that newness means everything, doesn't it? To know that Jesus looks at us and he goes, I don't even remember the old you. I don't even remember it. I actually choose not to remember your sins anymore. Because God's not forgetful, right? Like, if He's all knowing, how can He forget? He doesn't forget, He chooses not. It is a conscious decision on God's part to say, I no longer remember your sins. I'll hold them against you. I've forgiven them. Brand new start. God did that with Paul, and he not only saved him, but he goes, look, I'm going I'm to make you a witness and a servant. You're going to serve me, Paul, and you're going to testify about me. And, and you know the cool thing about the, the book of Acts, and along with the other books of the Bible, is, you know, even within the gospel accounts, we see these variations in like, well, that wasn't included in that other account, or maybe there was a slightly different perspective of a of of a miracle or something that happened, and we get that this isn't them copying one another. This was eyewitnesses testifying, writing down what they saw, the things that stood out to them of something. These weren't uh, discrepancies. These aren't errors. And in this way, this is the first time that we're finding out that Jesus spoke these things to Saul on the Damascus Road. We don't see Uh, luke record this for us in acts chapter 9 when we find the actual account of paul's conversion and yet now as paul is sharing with king agrippa and this this you know audience that he has we're now gaining even more insight into what happened when jesus met saul of tarsus on that damascus road and now it's preserved for us in scripture which is just so cool But we gain insight from what Jesus told Saul in verse 18 into our spiritual state before Christ saved us. And the the spiritual state of every person who has not yet received Jesus' salvation. In verse 18, we see that our spiritual state was that our, our spiritual eyes were blinded to the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of God's word. That we were in darkness and, and under the bondage and power and authority of Satan. That we were living in our sin and that because of our sin we were separated from God and, and were on the road to destruction where we would have been eternally separated from God in hell and that we were strangers to the inheritances and promises and sanctification of of God himself, that we were unholy people who could not stand before a holy God. And yet God intervened. God interrupted. God saved us because of Jesus. For those of us who have repented of our sin and put our, put our faith in Jesus and received his free gift of salvation by grace through faith, all of that has changed. Who we were is not who we now are. What once was the reality for our lives spiritually is no longer the reality. We are no longer blind. We see Jesus. We we know him. We, We can read his word and the Holy Spirit of God can touch our lives because our eyes have been opened. They've been enlightened in that sort of way. We're no longer in the darkness groping around trying to seek for some substance, something real in this life. We've been brought into the light. Do we realize how powerful light is? Without light, we would not be able to see at all. Our eyes could be opened, but if there was no light, we still wouldn't be able to see. And yet the light of the world, Jesus, has opened our eyes. We've been brought into his marvelous light, his kingdom. That separation has been removed. We have been reconciled to God. No longer under the power of Satan. We are now people who experience the power of God personally. And we've been brought into a whole new family. We've been sanctified among those who have put their faith in Jesus. Do we realize we've been brought not just out of the darkness, not just out of the power of Satan, but we've been brought into a whole new community, a whole new family And because of this family sort of dynamic that we've been adopted into as people, you and I are now recipients of the inheritance that belongs to Jesus Christ himself and all the promises that come along with that. But but in Paul sharing these things that Jesus said to him, he's not just saying, you know, let me recite to you what Jesus said to me. He's also in the same way helping Agrippa and all those listening in that audience there to know that Jesus was not like any other ruler, that he wasn't like any other savior, that his power was infinitely greater than any power that they had ever known or seen because Jesus is able to do something about the spiritual and eternal state of a person. And not only is he powerful enough, he cares about the spiritual and eternal state of people, both Jews and Gentiles, and he wants to do these things in the life of every person if they'll just turn to him in faith. Agrippa and Bernice and Festus, all these military officials were, were being confronted with their own spiritual state and their, their own need for Jesus, that they were the ones who were blind. they were the ones in darkness, they were the ones under the power of Satan, they were the ones needing salvation and forgiveness. they were the ones who were strangers to the inheritance and promises of God they were unable to stand before a holy God because they had not been made holy, sanctified by God himself. But Jesus wanted to change all of that. And he had the power to change all of that. But it was going to require them humbling themselves and putting their faith in Jesus, just like Saul did when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus all those years earlier. Paul, as he recounted what Jesus did in his life and said to him all those years earlier, was at the same time sharing the gospel, giving the hope of Jesus, giving these people an invitation because these things were for them too. And now in verses 19 through 23, Paul is going to share about what happened after he was saved and commissioned by Jesus. But let's First, read verses 19 through 21. Verse 19, Paul says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Paul says, look, I wasn't disobedient. That whole heavenly vision thing that I just told you about, I didn't just go, eh, I don't really, I don't think I really want to live for Jesus. I think I want to keep kicking against the goats. I think I want to keep persecuting Jesus. He's like, I wasn't disobedient. You don't come out of that and go, yeah, I think I'm just going to keep going about my life the same. He's like, I did the right thing. I did the rational thing. It would have been irrational, unreasonable. It would have been 100% foolish for, for Saul of Tarsus to have been confronted with Jesus himself in glory and to go, yeah, you know what, I don't, I don't really want to be your servant or witness. I don't think I want my eyes open. I don't think I want to be forgiven. It would have been so foolish. If we read this and that was what Paul's outcome, we would, it would be a tragedy. But Paul says, look, I wasn't disobedient. And Paul is reinforcing to King Agrippa that Jesus' authority requires a response of obedience from people. It would have been ridiculous for Paul to not respond to his encounter with Jesus by obeying. Paul had been guilty of persecuting Jesus, kicking against the goads, fighting against Jesus before Jesus saved him. But once he experienced the salvation of Jesus, there was no more persecuting, no more fighting, no more running. There was only submission obedience to Jesus. And so in his obedience, he began to declare, to proclaim openly to others about Jesus starting in Damascus. You know, normally if there's sort of a high profile person that gets saved, we're kind of like hoping that they won't immediately like use their, I mean, we want them to. We want, like, you have a platform. You have this influence. You want them to share the gospel. At the same time, you're kind of worried. You're like, their life is still kind of a mess. God's still doing stuff in them. What kind of weird things are they going to say about Jesus? Their theology is not all there. You're kind of like, let's give it a little bit of time. Let's let some discipleship happen. You know, like, but Saul's like, look, I got saved on the road. I got back to Damascus. I was, he was blinded for three days. So there was a little bit of time there where Jesus was working in Saul's heart. Additionally, Ananias came, you know, and there, there was some very brief sort of discipleship. Saul was baptized, water baptized. But it right away in Damascus, he's just going out and he's like sharing the gospel and he's disputing with the Hellenists. And it's like, wait, like... I wonder if ever like other people are like, hold, oh, like, let's like, let's kind of pump the brakes a little bit. They had to like get Paul out of the city because they wanted to kill him. This is like his intro to Christianity. You know? It, it, but Paul's like, look, like, I just went full force. Like, I there was no other life for me but to tell others about this Jesus who saved me. The sad part for us is we can have that early on when Jesus does something in our life and then over time it just that passion, that excitement for Jesus, that, that reality of what Jesus saved us out of. What he saved us unto to himself, into a new relationship a new family new promises starts to kind of dull down. And we don't really see the necessity as much that the. the the pressing urge to be telling people about Jesus maybe like we did initially. And, and that's, that's so, it's, it's, it's so common, unfortunately, but it's, it's sad at the same time when we think about maybe even for our own lives. And that shouldn't, we shouldn't just go, well, it's kind of just what it is now. I'm just kind of like, I've mellowed out. You know, because not everybody wants me to be so zealous. They kind of, you know, you people don't want to hang out with you when you're the zealous Christian. You're the weird one. But would we be able to just kind of see with fresh eyes, like even through the example of Paul, like be this, be the zealous one once again. Like God wants to make us those people once again. Why? Because... First of all, we're experiencing all the blessings of that life of faith and that life of abiding where we're just, man, we're so stoked on Jesus and we just, we can't help but talk about him. Don't we want that? I do. And maybe for us today even that, some of these things are just a reminder that we need to be even more prayerful. God, do that fresh work in my heart again bring back that excitement for you once again, that I would just be so pumped on you and just wanting to get in your word, wanting to spend time in prayer, wanting to fellowship with other believers, wanting to worship you, wanting to share your gospel. Know that Jesus wants that for us infinitely more than we do. And so Paul, he's saved. He's (laughs) right away in Damascus. He's just like full force. He's going for it. People want to kill him right away. And, and all the years since that point, that was Paul's life. That was the trajectory of his life. And we see all the negative things about it, but we also see all the positive things. We saw the, all the blessings of how God used his life so radically, all the churches that were planted, how the gospel spread and and and, and took root in all these areas of the Roman Empire and beyond. And it's like, wow, God really did something Amazing there, but look, he he called both Jews and Gentiles to repent, turn to God, and do works befitting of repentance. I like what David Gutzik said about this. It's just a very simple thing, but he said, he said, this is a neat summary of Paul's message. Paul says, repent and turn to God close, understanding them as two aspects of the same action. One can't turn to God Unless they do repent. And actions will confirm true repentance. Doing works befitting repentance. You know, because of this message and because Paul shared that message with Gentiles specifically. Again, as Paul sought to be obedient to the commission Jesus gave him. It was because of this that the Jews seized him and tried to kill him at the temple two years earlier. And even here, as Paul's sharing how he responded to Jesus' commission, this was done with a desire that King Agrippa and those in this audience would also repent, that they'd have a change of mind, a change of heart that would lead to a change of direction, that they turn away from their sin that was destroying them and, and would eternally destroy them, and that as they repented, they would turn to God In faith, they would humble themselves before Jesus and surrender their lives to Him. And that they would then live changed lives because of the salvation that they had received. And this is something that these people here may have not been super stoked on. Like, don't tell me that I need to repent. Like, don't tell me I need to turn to God. I'm doing fine. King Agrippa could have been, I'm the king. Nothing needs to change about my life. Festus could have said the same thing. I'm a Roman governor. You see all the authority I have? Like, I'm not turning from anything. You turn. You change. And yet this, these were all seeds. These were all all things that, God was using even now as Paul was sharing with this audience. But Paul's now going to conclude this opportunity to testify about Jesus by emphasizing how Jesus is the Messiah who the prophets and Moses said would come. And we see this in verses 22 and 23. And so continuing on, verse 22, Paul says, Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. I want us to notice here in all the things that Paul's been sharing from the very beginning of the chapter That Paul did not make himself the hero of his story or his testimony. He didn't make himself the hero. Like, yeah, you know, I've done some pretty great things for Jesus. I'm kind of a big deal in the Christian world. You never heard of me before? Paul the Apostle, formerly Saul of Tarsus. You know, he didn't... He wasn't the hero, like, and then I just had this radical change of heart. I don't know what happened. I just decided one day I didn't really want to do that anymore. I don't want to persecute Christians. I wanted to tell people about Jesus. He wasn't the hero of his story. He made Jesus the hero of the story. It's not that he was like, you know, just totally like, you know, making himself look like the worst person in the world, but I think that's a good example for us to make Jesus the hero. Of our story, when we share with people to make sure that we're making Jesus the hero, that Jesus is the one that's being exalted, that Jesus is the one that's gonna be sticking in the front of people's minds as we leave them afterwards. Like, they're not gonna leave thinking about all the things that we told them about ourselves, but they're gonna be leaving with this impression that, man, that person, that guy, that girl, man, they really love Jesus. Jesus did something in their lives. And in order for that to be what sticks, we've got to make sure we speak of Jesus and and leave him as the hero in our stories. You know, the only reason Paul was able to stand at all, able to witness both the small and great, those who others saw as insignificant and, and those who others saw as being better, more important than everyone else, was because he had obtained, he had received help from God. You know, in spite of all that Paul had faced, and you know, if we were, I could spend the next like probably 10 minutes talking about all the things since the moment of Paul's conversion that he had been through. But let's just consider just a handful of things. Being stoned and left for dead. Pretty big moment in Saul's life, Paul's life. Chased out of multiple cities. Hated, persecuted, misunderstood, misjudged, beaten multiple times. We're going to see him shipwrecked here pretty soon. But Paul says in, I think, Second Corinthians that he was shipwrecked at least three times. So even before this, there's two moments in Paul's life where he was shipwrecked. He's going to spend a night and a day in the deep. Man, how freaky would that be? You're just out there hanging on to something in the middle of the night, hoping that some shark doesn't come and just like take your legs out or something. Is that creeping anybody else out right now? Anyways, you're like, I'm going swimming later today. Can we not talk about sharks? Almost killed multiple times, even after those other times, wrongly and unjustly imprisoned multiple times, including this time now where he's been for the past two years in Caesarea and now about to be sent to Rome to be judged by Caesar Nero himself, Paul says, look, I've received help from God. You know, if Paul had been focusing on himself and his expectations and his comfort, it it would have been difficult at the very least for him to see that God had been helping him all along the way. In fact, he could have even thought that God had abandoned him and that God was cruel to him. You ever find yourself coming out of something and, and your eyes were on yourself and you, it was, you were kind of unable to see how God was helping you in the moment because your eyes were on you and you were consumed with sort you maybe a little self-absorbed in the things that you were going, and there were real things, there were hard things that you were going through. But then coming out of it you're like later on you're like wow god you you were there. In the moment I thought where are you? But now I'm seeing god you were there. You were helping me. You've been my help. Because Paul made his life about Jesus and Jesus' kingdom and his gospel and his commission and seeing others saved and seeing the saved discipled he was able to have that right perspective as he went through hard things to see how God had been with him how God had cared for him how God had helped him in all of the things that he faced and man do we need this sort of perspective continually don't we want to go through things and see how God's helping us because he is sometimes we just don't see it so clearly but he is he's present when jesus said in matthew 28 look i'm going to be with you always even to the end of the age he wasn't saying like i'll be with you always unless i'm just kind of too busy and i don't really want to (laughs) always when you use the word always does it mean always to you Usually, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> Always. It always means always. And Jesus saying always means I'm there. And if he's there, who's the one helping us? Who's the one who has grace for us? Who's the one who's comforting us? Who's the one encouraging us? It's not just like, oh, I just cheered up all of a sudden. God was there. God was working. Well, I just happened to like... Get this raise. I just ha- like this thing, and oh, I just happened to sort of like be have a reconciled relationship with this person. Like, no, God was there. God was helping. God's working in those things. And, and would we have that perspective? Would we be able to have that sort of vision for life to see things through the same sort of lens that Paul did? That God is present, and if He's present, then He's active. If He's active, He's working. If He's working then, man, we need to attribute a lot more things to the power of God in our lives and circumstances, don't we? Moment by moment, in each and every day, what will that do to us? It'll make us a people who worship God even more. Why? Because we're noticing all the things God's doing and then we get to praise him for it. And then we have this testimony. We get to talk to somebody else and go, you know what God did the other day? You know what God did this morning? I was having a really rough morning and then all of a sudden, you know, I heard this song or I read this in his word or somebody called me, someone texted me. And man, it just, it, it comforted me, encouraged me, encouraged me. It just did something in my heart. It was something I needed to hear. God did that in that moment. And man, not only will that bless you, it's gonna bless somebody else. It's going to minister to someone else. It might be something that God uses in an unbeliever's life to open their eyes. Say, man, well, God's working like that in your life. Yeah, he can work in your life like that too. We need that sort of perspective. Paul had received God's help and part of his help was seen not in God having him escape all of his problems. (laughs) It wasn't escaping suffering. It wasn't escaping imprisonment. He was still in chains. He he was shackled at that very moment as he was speaking. But part of his help was seen in how Paul was able to witness to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, The Christ would be the first to rise from the dead. And please understand this. Paul's not saying that Jesus was the first to ever rise from the dead. Paul knew very well about those instances we referenced last week, which additionally, we could also have added to that, and I didn't even mention this last week. How about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead four days after he had died? Lord, he stinketh, if you're a King James reader. We roll at this tomb, it's gonna, we're gonna start losing our lunch because this guy's been decaying already. Here's the thing about all those people who experienced a resurrection before. They all rose and then they died again. How jacked up is that? It's kind of a bummer, right? Lazarus like, oh, comes out with the grave clothes, cloths, you know, they unbind him, and he's getting some time with Jesus, and then then he has to like go through Jesus dying, and that all grief, all that. And then Jesus is alive, and then that's all great, and then he's living with, for Jesus. We don't know how long Lazarus lived, but eventually Lazarus died again. Man, like you can't catch a break, right? Like <laughs> Jesus rose to never die again. He was the first to experience resurrection, to never die. He's always now lived. No one else had that. So Paul's referencing that aspect of Jesus' resurrection here. He's the first to die. I'm sorry, first to rise from the dead and and never to die again. And that Jesus would be the, the one proclaiming light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles so if the, if the Gospel message was unclear to King Agrippa and Bernice, this weird incestuous brother sister thing, and Festus and all the officials in the auditorium before this paul 's driving it all home and wanting to make it clear to them and i and I think even for us, just a just a uh, quick encouragement um, you know Paul saying look i I had god 's help like i i." I was able to do these things, not because I'm just naturally gifted as a preacher. I'm just naturally this church planner kind of guy. I just do it and it's just, I'm really good at it. He's like, only reason I could do any of it was God helped me. <laughs> God was with me. God empowered me. God had grace for me. This whole witnessing thing that's, that's because God's, God's done that in my life. God's helping me. And, and I think just an encouragement to us, look, if, if Paul needed God's help to be a witness of small and great, those who others just go, man, they're, they're nothing. And, and those who others would go, oh my gosh, like they're the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, they're God's gift to humanity. Like it doesn't matter, everyone in between. You and I need God's help as we seek to be witnesses to Jesus we could be naturally talkative people we could be extroverts and I know some that are super extroverts and man like you are a gift you're a gift because not all of us are like you but even them even the person who just naturally just is so good at talking to people and can bring up Jesus need God's help we need his help and he knows that we need his help. And guess what? He's provided us with help. He's provided us with power. Jesus said, You'll receive power to be witnesses. He goes, I you're gonna need help. I'm gonna supply you with you need but with what you need, but we gotta come to him for the thing that he alone supplies. And so again, this is just kind of a reminder for us to, to be daily. Asking God, not just for opportunities to share about Jesus, but for the power of His Spirit to share. The power of His Spirit to be a witness in those moments. You know, Paul wasn't saying anything different than what the prophets or Moses said about the coming Messiah who had, had already come. Because they spoke about how the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead. These were things found in Old Testament Scripture, would proclaim light to both Jews and Gentiles. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled these things that the prophets and Moses foretold. Paul wasn't saying anything different than them as he witnessed about Jesus by God's help. But as has happened multiple times to Paul in the past, Paul's going to get interrupted once again. It's like, you feel kind of bad for Paul at the same time. He's like, he's getting these moments. Like He's preaching to the crowd in Acts 22. And he's like, he's just about there. He's like, God, Jesus sent me to the Gentiles. And they're like, kill him. Right? Like, he deserves to die. Like, kill him. The guards have to take him into the barracks. Like, oh, crud. He keeps getting interrupted and this is going to happen again here with Festus here we're going to see in the next verses but verses 24 through 26 it says now as he thus made his defense so he's just in the middle of it he's still going Festus said with a loud voice Paul you are beside yourself much learning is driving you mad (laughs) but Paul said I am not mad most noble Festus but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. Notice how Festus responded to the gospel message Paul had proclaimed. He interrupts him. Ever had someone interrupt you when you're trying to share with them? Sort of a common thing. He interrupts him with a loud voice. The word "megas" in the Greek is like, this guy's like bullhorning right now. He's just like, yeah, he's just like screaming at Paul. And Paul's calm. Paul's just talking. He's just very conversational here. He's just sharing. And then all of a sudden Festus is just blurting this out. Paul, he accuses him. He accuses him, Paul. He says, you're beside yourself. That word beside yourself means, Paul, you are insane. You are deranged mentally. You're insane. And he says, clearly all you're learning, you're a learned person, you're very educated. (laughs) As he's yelling this. All you're learning about Jesus has driven you again. He uses that word, mad, insane. It's driven you insane, Paul. You're insane, and then he doubles doubles down on that. You're insane. You're insane, and you're insane. <laughs> yes, Festus heard Paul talk about meeting Jesus, who the Jewish leaders claimed, Jewish religious leaders claimed, was still dead. How Jesus spoke to Paul, commissioned him, how Paul's life had been consumed ever since with testifying about Jesus. Festus' only conclusion about Paul was that following Jesus had made him crazy, made him insane. Paul had lost his mind. He was like Tootles in the movie Hook who had lost his marbles. He really did lose his marbles. Yeah, he lost them good. That's such a great moment in the movie. He gets the bag of marbles to bring back to Tootles. Anywho. <clears throat> now, whether Festus actually believed Paul had gone insane or this was Festus's way of trying to shut Paul down because maybe Festus was, Festus was just experiencing the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in his own heart while Paul preached, we, we can't know for certain. But I love how respectful Paul was in his response in verse 25. He calmly and respectfully let the most noble Festus, right? Most noble, most excellent, it could also be said. He's using a very respectful term. Most noble Festus, I'm, I'm not mad. I haven't lost my mind. The things I've been sharing are true and they're reasonable. They're true. And they're reasonable. Listen, Christianity is a reasonable faith based on truth and evidence. Yes, it still requires our faith, but it's not an untrue or unreasonable or ridiculous faith for us or others to have. It's not unreasonable. But with that response... Paul used Festus's outburst to actually be able to indirectly address King Agrippa in verse 26. That these true and reasonable things Paul had been speaking about concerning Jesus were things that Paul was convinced that Agrippa must have been aware of. He must have known about because they weren't done in secret, but they had happened publicly and they had been widely spread. You know, just from his family history. Agrippa must have heard and known things about Jesus of Nazareth. But even in his reign as king of that region, he would have been well aware of the claims of Jesus' followers and even heard about Paul's life and ministry, which all pointed to the crucified and resurrected Jesus. But but Paul's now going to turn from addressing King Agrippa indirectly to asking him a very direct question. And we see this in verses 27, and 29, 27 through 29. Verse 27, Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He doesn't even let him answer. I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. I don't know how Paul got this confidence about Agrippa, but obviously Paul had heard some things. He either heard some things or maybe just the Spirit of God speaking to him. Maybe he just knew. This guy believes the prophets. He accepts them. He's very knowledgeable in all the customs and laws of the Jews. He accepted the prophets. Like Paul just goes, look, like, Do you believe? I I know that you do. I know you do. You know, I'd be willing to bet that King Agrippa was not used to people questioning him or putting him on the spot like Paul was at that moment. Agrippa was the one who questioned others. He's the king. You don't call him out. He calls others out. And yet here's Paul. Lowly Paul. In chains, shackled, shackled. Been in prison for two years. He's just compelled to call Agrippa to a place of decision. Especially since he was confident that Agrippa believed or accepted the prophets. And I I think just uh, these are good encouragements for us to call people to a place of decision. There might be times where you're talking to somebody about the Lord. And you know what? Maybe it's not in that moment the exact thing. But I think more often than not, people are needing to have some sort of decision placed before them as the gospel is presented to them, to be given an opportunity. Maybe we, we sense something about their lives. Maybe there's some belief. Maybe there's some sort of search for truth that God would lead us to to really probe in those places and ask maybe some hard things at times, to call people to make a decision to Jesus. Because I think there are people who want to be given that opportunity. And man, God forbid that we would not give that opportunity to them when we actually share the gospel, we we share Jesus with them. I think that's, that's part of God, help us. Help us to know how to, bring that sort of invitation to to present that sort of decision to people in a way that they can accept it. They they can see it and and see that it's for them and they can grab a hold of it for their own lives. But listen, if, if Agrippa truly did believe the Old Testament prophets, he would have had to willfully and foolishly reject that Jesus clearly was the Messiah who the prophets foretold because all the evidence pointed to Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, the Christ who was alive and reigning in glory and was calling people to repent of their sin and turn in faith to him so that they could be saved. But I want us to notice Agrippa's response in verse 28. He doesn't answer Paul's question, does he? Paul says, do you believe the prophets? I I know that you do. Agrippa doesn't say, yeah, let's talk about the whole prophet thing here for a second. I'm not really sure. Having a hard time. I believe some of it. Some of it I don't. He doesn't even address it at all. He doesn't say anything about what Paul just said. He didn't want to admit whether he believed in the prophets or not. See, if he admitted he believed in the prophets, he would be faced with the reality that Jesus is the Messiah who he needed to humble himself and answer to. But if he rejected the prophets, he could lose whatever favor he had with the Jewish people and the religious leaders who he ruled over. He was in a really tough spot. So, you know, he did the thing that sometimes we do. When we don't want to answer a question, we just don't. We say something else. We change the subject. Instead, he tells Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Now, when Agrippa says almost persuaded, that word almost in the Greek means in a little or a short time. So what Agrippa says here could actually be taken a couple different ways, and it's not totally clear which way that he's saying it. He could be saying this sort of sarcastically. Do you think that in this short of time you could persuade me to become a Christian. This could have been like a little jab to Paul, a little bit of mocking. Or he could have been just saying this honestly in a short amount of time, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian, maybe with some surprise, like, man, I can't believe I'm this close. But regardless of which way he said it or meant it, the point is that Agrippa almost becoming a Christian was still him not becoming a Christian. Man, there's a lot of things where almost doing it is still pretty good, right? Like you have some fitness goals. I almost lost all the weight. I mean, I, got, I was like two pounds off. Good job. Like you almost, almost were there. You know, in the Olympics, you almost won the gold, but you got the silver. It's still pretty good. You made it to the podium. You got the medal. In sports, almost winning. I mean, come on. If you watch sports, almost winning, you still know it's losing. But you're like, hey, Boston Celtics, you were the Eastern Conference champions. Like, hey, good on you. But the Warriors won, right? We're not gloating. It's just the truth. It's just what happened. It's true and it's reasonable. But when it comes to salvation, almost doesn't cut it. Almost doesn't make it. Almost is just not enough. Agrippa's non-decision was itself a decision. To make excuses or put things off when confronted with the reality of who Jesus is and the message of his gospel is actually to say no to Jesus and the free gift of salvation That he's holding out to all who will repent of their sin and turn in faith to him. See, for Agrippa to make a decision for Jesus would mean he would need to repent of his sin. And this would have required him to separate himself from that incestuous relationship he had with his sister. And for many, their unwillingness to put their faith in Jesus is not because they don't think it's true or reasonable. For a lot of people, that's not the case. It's not because, oh, I just don't believe I'm an atheist or whatever, I'm agnostic, whatever the case may be. It's, it's because they value their sin more than they value Jesus and his free gift to salvation. Maybe they're afraid of what they'll lose if they decide to follow Jesus. Or maybe they just don't want their sin exposed by coming to the light, who is Jesus But but even in that, even in those almost persuaded sorts of situations, almost with those almost persuaded sorts of people in our lives. Look, Saul is a prime example that Jesus is a relentless pursuer of people's hearts. And the way that Jesus pursued after Saul of Tarsus, man, Jesus does that with others in our lives. All the time, and we don't always see it. We got to trust in his pursuing work as we pray for people and seek to be faithful and point them to the Lord. But, but I love and, and, and am convicted and encouraged and challenged at the same time by Paul's response to Agrippa's decision and, and even the potential mockery in verse 29 because it clearly shows the deep love and desire that Paul had for others to find salvation in Jesus like he had. Paul's desire, his prayer to God... Was that everyone in that auditorium, according to verse 29, would become as he was. Saved and forgiven. No longer blinded, no longer in the darkness, no longer, no longer under the power of Satan, no longer separated from God because of sin, no longer a stranger to the inheritance and promises of God but now made holy in the eyes of God, now set apart unto God by faith in Jesus. He wanted that so badly and so desperately for every single person that they would experience everything in Christ that Paul had, but notice, except for one thing. I wish all of you would become all together, like, just like me, except for one thing one thing he didn't desire for them was chains you know like this this could have been a moment for paul where he's like just like you know but i hope at the same time you get what's yours cuz you guys are messed up you guys have treated me bad been beaten and falsely imprisoned and kept here he goes i want you to be saved i want you to be just like me but i don't want you to have what i have with these chains Just this heart of grace, this heart of mercy, this this compassion that we see in the apostle Paul. He didn't care about his own physical freedom. He just cared about the spiritual freedom of others. But, But even though Paul poured out his heart, made that amazing plea in verse 29, this is where things ended in Paul's witnessing opportunity to King Agrippa and the rest of those in the auditorium. Look at their response in verses 30 through 32 as we come to a close here verse 30, when he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So there just came a point where they're like, okay, we're done. Agrippa just stands up. Walks out, everybody else is like, oh, if Agrippa's leaving, we're leaving too. Everyone gets up, follows after Agrippa and they have this little conference thing here, talk about Paul. But, but no one dared to talk about the most important things Paul spoke to them about as he witnessed them, to them about Jesus and the response of repentance and faith that was required. Instead, they just focused on whether they thought he was guilty or not. Festus and King Agrippa and Bernice all agreed that Paul had done nothing deserving of death or chains. And this is now, there's been several other times where others have said the same thing about Paul. Luke, Luke is recording Paul's innocence in all of this. He'd done nothing deserving of death or chains. And Agrippa believed Paul might have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar but, but here's the thing. Paul never would have been able to testify about Jesus to kings like Jesus said Paul would had Paul not appealed to Caesar and remained a prisoner. To Paul, being set free from his chains was not his top priority. No, seeing others set free from slavery to sin and Satan was his top priority. And that priority shaped every other thing about his life and how he interacted with and witnessed to others. So what about us? What's what's our priority in these days? Have we been set free by Jesus? Do we know what that's like for, for Jesus to say to us, you are free indeed? Man, what a beautiful thing. But if we have... Is our freedom shaping how we live and how we interact with and witness to others who are desperately in need of Jesus too? I'm gonna have the worship team come back up. You know, as we've considered over the last couple of weeks, this appeal of Paul that's led to him having an audience that led to him having this opportunity to be a witness. You know, there are moments in our lives, guys, where we make decisions and, and those decisions can be opportunities that that present us with an audience, and we might not even know it in the moment if someone 's watching us they 're watching our life they 're hearing what we 're saying they 're listening into a conversation that we 're having, but for us to just be even more mindful of the decisions the moments that the people around us that we would see that all those things god 's using those things in in a really interesting way that we oftentimes don't see in the moment. We don't see all those connections, all those ways the Spirit of God's been working in us, getting us to a place where we are bold enough in a moment to talk, but He's already been working in someone else's heart. He's been softening them. He's been doing something in them to where they're open to hearing what God might speak through you. Or, or maybe they hear something and, and maybe it's something that God's gonna use in someone else's life, but God's using all of those things in, in ways that you and I often don't see. Because the thing that God cares about the most is that people would be saved. And the thing that God cares about the most, you and I also need to care about the most. And if we're honest, if I'm honest, my actions don't always say that that's the thing that I care about the most. Sometimes what I care about the most is is me in a moment. It's what I want and what's comfortable for me. But would we be able to grab a hold of these things see that God has put people around us. He really has. And I'm not just saying in this moment, like here in this room, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, there's people that God's put around us. We've been given an audience. And with God's help, God will make us a witness. So let's pray as we just desire so badly to see God do that with us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul and just the way that Jesus, you met him and worked so radically in him. Lord, it wasn't, it wasn't that Paul was just so great, Lord. It was, it was your work in his life. Lord Jesus, you are the hero of this story. And Lord, you're the hero of our story too. Lord, because each of us would still be blinded and dead. And in darkness and under the power of Satan. Separated from you by our sin. If you hadn't stepped in to our lives. Lord, if you hadn't saved us. And Lord, in you saving us, Lord, you want to use us. Lord, there's a work that you're wanting to do in and through each of our lives. And God, maybe that work in in some moments is just how we walk through trials, how we walk through difficulty. Lord, that we would be able to testify to others of how you've helped us. Lord, how you've been present. Lord, how you've sustained us. But Lord, would we use our words? Lord, would we open our mouths? Would we use opportunities even technologically with text messages and emails and social media, Lord, would we use these things, Lord God, that you've given us, knowing that you've given us an audience, Lord, you put people in our lives in order that we could be a, a blessing and a witness, Lord. And we need your help, Lord God. We, we know us, Lord, even those of us who maybe are more naturally gifted in speaking, Lord, we, we need the power of your spirit, Lord, and we need your grace, to be able to, by the power of your spirit, by the leading of your spirit, Lord, interact with others, love others, and share the gospel with others. And so God, would we care about what you care about? Lord, which is the souls of people. God, would that be our top priority? And God, would that priority, Lord, shape everything else about our lives? And God, would you renew, Lord, just a, a fresh passion within us? Lord, if any of us have felt like that that excitement, that zeal for you, Lord, even just that, that, that love for you, Lord, maybe that's waned in some way. It's dulled over time. Lord, God, would you revive us? Would you renew a right spirit within us? God, would you pour out your spirit upon us, Lord, and, and just... God, that we'd be in awe of you once again. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't just have a personal saving relationship with you, Lord, maybe they've never had their sins forgiven. Lord, would today be the day of salvation for them. And and if that's anybody in here this morning, and you know for you, the, the thing that's needing to be taken care of this morning is that sin issue. It's that salvation issue. It's that blinded, that blindness issue, that darkness issue that Jesus is wanting to do something in your life that no one else can do and you can't even do for yourself. If that's you this morning and you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, you want to know that your sins are forgiven and be given the hope of eternity, would you stand where you're at if that's anybody here today that you're going, look, that's me and and I want that, I want Jesus. Lord, as we respond now to your word, God, you know our hearts. You know where we're at. Lord, you know the areas, God, where some this morning are just needing to be comforted. Lord, they're needing to be encouraged. God, things are hard. They're in a difficult place. God, would you meet each one? Lord, those that are struggling with sin, Lord, and, and struggling to find victory, Lord, God, would you Would you meet and empower, Lord? Give them what's needed, Lord, to overcome temptation and sin in their lives. Lord, that they could walk fully in that freedom, Lord, that you've already provided for them. And God, would you, Lord, use these things to equip us and embolden us to be even more so about you, Jesus, about your kingdom and your gospel and your commission in these days. So Lord, we love you, we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.